Well, good evening, my dear brothers and sisters and our dear young people. We've got really a wonderful subject, a very interesting subject to look forward to tonight and because we look forward to the Kingdom. So this is a subject about everything that we're going to see or some of the things we're going to see in the Kingdom of God. This is study number three. You'll find that I say study number two on the screen. That's for a reason that you need not concern yourself with. But I'll just put up what we're going to hope to cover tonight as we move through this study. We're going to firstly look at the wall of the house. Now, as we do this, as we move through this study, just to start with, you'll have to bear with me because we're going to look at some measurements. And you might think, oh, ho, ho, this is boring, it's all numbers. And it is, it is numbers, but of course, God is the great mathematician and every mathematical calculation in the world is based on a particular number. Does anybody know what number that is? What is the number that every mathematical calculation in the world is based on? What's well, number one? Every other number is just a multiple of number one or part thereof. And of course that in itself has got a doctrinal import because God is one. God is unity. God is, and his kingdom is going to be one. Unity, unity is all about God. And so yet numbers, if we just think, well, these are numbers, but these are the numbers and the measurements of the temple. Now, the reason why I'm doing this, dealing with the temple and, and showing you some of these measurements is because there is some misunderstanding about the particular size of the temple. We want to show you from a number of slides to start with tonight that the temple is most definitely a large temple that will be a house of prayer for all nations. So firstly we're going to look at the wall of the house that will have bearing on the size. We're then going to look at consistency in understanding this prophecy with the rules for measuring. I don't mean we get out a rule we do that it's measured with a rod but there are rules for measuring that must be consistent, taken right across this prophecy in Ezekiel. We're going to look at the four towers briefly because they will teach us some lessons uh, about the measurement. We're going to look at some difficulties with translations. Now, if you've got a different... I've got an authorised version and I use an authorised version because I believe it is the best translation in all aspects of Bible doctrine. If you've got a different translation sitting on your lap, you might find some of the things I talk about you might not be able to reconcile because that translation does not agree with what uh, Scripture is really saying. So we need to understand that. We need to be careful about the translation we use if we want to have a clear understanding of the Temple of Ezekiel's prophecy. We're going to then have a brief comparison of the size of the Temple to significant landmarks in Australia. And then we're going to look at some spiritual lessons about the royal cubit. So they are not just cold dimensions, there are spiritual lessons about this house. We're going to look at Isaiah's prophecy. Yes, Isaiah prophesies about the temple and the inner circle of the temple. We're going to look at that prophecy. And, and finally, the title of our night's study was Living Waters. We hope to at least get to those living waters in chapter 47 and talk about those. So let's get started with the, these uh, measurements and these rules to start with. Let's just come to chapter 42 
and where we find in verses 15 to 20 that there is a, a wall around the outside of the house. Well, in fact, that's probably the wrong chapter to go to to start with. We should go to chapter 40, chapter 40 and verse 5 to start with. So the prophecy starts in chapter 40 and as I said, we've already done a couple of studies on this so we're following on from those studies. But in chapter 40 and verse 5 we read, And behold, a wall. So telling us that there is a wall on the outside of the house round about and in the man's hand a measuring reed of six cubits long by the cubit and a handbreadth and I explained to you that a cubit was from the tip of the fingers to the end of the elbow plus a handbreadth, the royal cubit and I'm a very lanky person so mine might be slightly longer than yours but approximately about 624 millimetres, two feet. Six of those makes one reed and a reed was about 3.7 metres long. And so it says he measured the breadth of the building one reed and the height one reed. Now that doesn't help us much. And now we can go over to chapter 42 and it tells us that he measured the house again. And it tells us in chapter 42, actually commencing at verse 15. Now when he had made an end of measuring the inner house, he brought me forth toward the gate whose prospect is toward the east, and he measured it round about. And it tells us, as you can see now on the screen, he measured the east side with the measuring reed, 500 reeds with the measuring reed about. He measured the north side, 500 reeds. He measured the south side, 500 reeds. You can see the red line now going around the outside of the temple and on the screen there, a, a, a symbol of the man with the measuring reed in his hand. That's about the approximate length of the reed compared to the man. And he then measured the west side, 500 reeds. He measured it by its four sides. It had a wall round about it, as we just read in chapter 40. 500 reeds long and 500 broad. So it's telling us straight away that it's 500 reeds. And we showed you that that 500 reeds was about 1.6 kilometres. It was, it's quite a large, very large building to make a separation between the sanctuary and the profane place. Now, just what is this wall? I, I, why am I going to all this trouble telling you that he measured this wall around the outside of the house? Well, I'm going to show you what that wall is in this next slide. And here's this quotation from chapter 40 and verse 5. And behold, a wall on the outside of the house, round about, and in the man's hand a measuring reed of six cubits long by the cubit and a handbreadth. So he measured the breadth of the work of the building. Now the word building is the word uh, in the Hebrew which means a structure. He measured not just the the he measured the whole structure of this building. So it's, it's not the temple that he's measuring, he's measuring the wall, the structure of the wall. And you can see up here, here I've got that little red arrow that's just done a turn. That's the wall of the house. When he measures the 500 reeds, he measures it along there. 500 reeds one way, 500 reeds down the other, right around the whole perimeter, 500 reeds for each side. So he measured the reed, the, the wall of the house. And you see in this illustration here, it's one reed high and one reed wide. So when we read that, you know, there is a, some people get confused in their minds and think, well, this is just a very small building. 
one read high and one read wide, but, but it's a reference to the measurement of the wall. So we need to remember that. That's the measurement of that wall right round the house, but 500 reads or over a kilometre each way. A very large building. Now here's some of our rules for consistency with measuring. When we want to understand this prophecy, we must have consistency with measuring rules. Now when I went to school, we had something called BOMDAS for mathematics. Does anybody know what BOMDAS stands for? You've got it. Brackets of multiplication, division, adding and subtraction. All mathematical calculations are done in that sequence. BOMDAS. So that was a rule for mathematics. Okay, so we've got in the, in the Bible we've got consistency with measuring rules for measuring the temple. In other words, we can't say, well, we'll take this measurement over here, but then we'll apply another rule to measure somewhere else in the temple. It must be the same consistency of rule that we measure the temple with. So we say all measurements must be that of the original measuring stick or the measuring reed, unless stated otherwise. So all measurements are to be 3.77 metres long, unless it's stated otherwise. The measuring stick was one reed long, 3.744 metres long. Where smaller measures are intended, cubits, spans, handbreads are given in the text. So the Bible tells us if they're smaller measurements. Where the word cubits appears in italics. Now italics means, you know, in, in your text you've got texts that are standing up straight. Italics is slightly wriggly, leading on the side. It's known as, in, if it's in italics, it's not in the original text. Very important point. So if we read 500 cubits, and the word cubits is in italics, it's not cubits in the original, it's going to be reeds. We, that's a rule we must understand. It's not in the original text if it's in italics. So therefore, let's just apply that principle, come over to chapter 46 this time, verse 22. And chapter 46 and verse 22, it's talking about the towers at the end of each, uh, at the corner of each building. In the four corners of the court, there were courts joined of 40, now see that word cubits in my Bible because I've got an authorised version, it's in italics, but because it's in italics, it's not in the original. In the four corners of the court, of the court there were courts joined of 40 long and 30 broad. 40 what? And 30 what? Well, it's reeds. The rule is it's always reeds unless it's otherwise specified. So it's talking about the, the four corner towers. We're going to have a lot more to say about those four corner towers. For example, they represent the horns on the altar, in a sense. We're going to talk about that. But they're also there as part of the structure because the way the building is constructed, you've got thrusting against outward like that. It needs these strong bulwarks or towers at each corner to, to resist, to, to hold that building, to hold the whole structure and the arches together. So it's an important part of the construction to have those towers at the four corners. And so we say, disregarding of these rules will lead to a serious misunderstanding of temple dimensions. 
So if you start doing some research around the world and the ecclesial world, you'll find that there's all sorts of publications that talk about the temple, some give you a small temple, all sorts of interpretations. Because they refer, they have not got a consistency with the rule, they can refer to other translations that are not consistent with the authorised version and not consistent with the original Hebrew. And I'm going to show you that very shortly. So there we are. There's the quote we've got. In the four corners of the court, there were courts, and the word courts is in italics. Oh, sorry, sorry, there were four courts joined of 40 cubits. The word cubits is in italics, and so therefore I cross it out. They're 40 cubits long and 30 broad. There were four. These four were corners of the one measure. So there it is there. There's Brother Sully's illustration of what he believed that the four corners would look like. There's one of the courts at the end of the, the row of buildings. And so we read this in verse 21, and that we've just read those words, and so I've put the words in the four corners of the court are courts, 40, and I put the word reeds, it's not in the original, but that's what's intended, long and 30 reeds broad, one measure to the four corners. And so, as we said, the word cubits, as given in the AV, are not in the original. And keeping with the rule, the reeds are the measurement when nothing is specified as cubits in the original. So, here's the court, here's the dimensions of the building. If it's 30 reeds square, well, that's 112 square metres, and 40 reeds long, the word long is a reference to the height of the building. It's 30 reeds around the perimeter of the base of the building, but the height of the building is 40 reeds oric, which is rendered height in other parts of the scriptures. So measuring across the width of the building there, it is 30 reeds wide and it is 40 reeds high. And these are important parts of the building which we will talk about, God willing, in more detail in our study later. Now these buildings are a place for the preparation of food. We read in verses 23 and 24 and there was a row of buildings round about in them, round about the four and it was made with boiling places under the rows round about. And he said unto me, These are the places of them that boil where the ministers of the house shall boil the sacrifice of the people. So they were places for the preparation of food to feed the, the many thousands of people that will daily come up to the temple to worship. And so you can see on the screen there where, where it says, these in the four corners of the court, these were courts joined. That word joined, as you can see underneath that paragraph there, is a Hebrew word that is only ever used once in the whole of the Bible. The word cubits is not in the original, but that word joined, is that Hebrew word, kuterot, which means smoking or steaming with fragrance. So when Ezekiel saw these courts, he saw smoke coming out of the top of the chimneys and he could smell it. He could smell food cooking. That's what he saw and he smelled. So it was not just limited to seeing in the vision. He was transported, as it were, into the future. He could smell the cooking. The, the, uh, a marginal reading in some authorised versions of the Bible it was made with chimneys. 
But what I'm trying to get across to you here is that we've got the use of Hebrew words now that are used no other place in the Bible. And when Brother Sully did his work on compiling his book of the prophecy of Ezekiel's temple, he had to uh, get the help of Hebrew experts, Hebrew scholars, to interpret what these passages were saying. In the Hebrew language of Brother Sully's day, there was, the words were not used. And so he had to get experts to say, well, what this original word means. So it means a place for the preparation of food. And then verse 23 says, there were boiling places. And once again, the word boiling places is this is a Hebrew word that's only used here, only once in this place. It means cooking hearths, a range of cooking ovens, if you like, where food is prepared. So that's the purpose of the towers, but I'm putting this up to show you that Hebrew words were used that needed to be understood in harmony with what the scriptures were saying. And so if I was to compare that tower with, let's say, the Wilston Ecclesial Hall, just to give you an idea of how I've mentioned to you what the measurements are in reads, but it doesn't mean much to you, but I'll just put the Wilston Hall next to it, so I'm just dropping it into place so I don't damage it. <laughs> Dropped it into place now. So I'm sorry I'm standing in the way there, but you've picked a bad spot to sit over that side of the hall. Uh, but anyhow, that's how big uh, it is compared to the... And I suppose, comparable to this building here, that's how big the towers are. They're quite substantial, not as big as skyscrapers today, but still very large buildings. Now, the, the roofs then run along, extend right along the, the building from those towers. I've got in the next slide. From, from gate to gate is about 46 reeds long. We want to compare that to Wilson Hall again. I just dropped the Wilson Hall into the place there again. So you can see, once again, and that's only from, and there's, there's, we believe there's nine gates along each side, and this is just from one set of gates to the other. All these buildings, which will be places for instruction, for judgment, for, and in the inner circle, there will be the rooms for singers, which we'll talk about later, God willing. But we're just talking about the size of the temple and, and, and the use of the Hebrew words to understand what the scriptures are saying. Now here's this, here's one of the Hebrew experts that Brother Sully employed. It was a Professor Evans. Now I believe by, now most of this work has been done by a brother John Russell. Some of you would know John Russell who's now a member of the Morton Bay Ecclesia. So this information, and I'm going to use some Hebrew in a minute. I'm not a Hebrew expert. I just use a Bible lexicon. But John was able to do a lot of work with the Hebrew in the next couple of slides that you'll see. And he explains through that work how the Hebrew was used to come to an understanding of the correct size of the temple. So this is what Brother Henry Sully says. His studies were perused, well, what it was said about it, Brother Sully, his studies were perused with more or less continuous application for seven years and were largely supplemented by the critical assistance of those qualified to interpret the Hebrew tongue, without which one unacquainted with Hebrew could not expect to arrive at a correct understanding of the vision. So he employed the likes of this Professor Evans from the Carmarthian Presbyterian College in Wales, which doesn't exist anymore, uh, but I was able to Google him from the 
Commons Google uh, Image Commons website, and that's a, an a painting of this Professor Evans, who was able to help in the understanding of these particular Hebrew words. Now, why I'm saying all of this? Because there is, as I've already mentioned, some difficulties with translation, and we need to address that problem. Now, just to give you a little bit of history about this, I've got on the screen here something referred to as the Biblica Hebraica Stilagasia, which is, if you like, a revised Masoretic text, a Hebrew text upon which most contemporary versions are based. So when the interpreters have come up with these new versions of the Bible, they've gone back to the Masoretic text and they've based their translation of that particular version of the Bible, not the authorised version, that particular, for example, the, the um, ESV, the English Standard Version, is based on this text, which has got errors in it. This is a Hebrew interlinear Bible for the ESV. Now, as you can imagine, what I'm going to say is the ESV is not a good translation for understanding the size of the temple or for understanding a lot of Bible doctrines. It's not a good translation. In this example, it reads, reading in Hebrew, we're going to read a part of uh, chapter 42, verse 16, from right to left. I'll put, for those of you who can read the Hebrew, you can read the Hebrew letters, but I can't read Hebrew. But underneath, we're given the, the words in English. And it reads, now this is how the Masoretic text reads, the measurement of five reeds, cubit reeds, by the reed of, now that just doesn't make, I'll put it up on the screen for you. You see that cubit reeds doesn't make sense. The measurement, five of cubit reeds by the reed of the measurement. Now our, our Bible doesn't say that, the authorised version doesn't say that. But that's, that's what the Masoretic text says. There is a mistake in the Hebrew Masoretic text. It's put the words, cubits and reeds together, which creates confusion. Now, why is that? Well, because the word cubits, the word amar is used in verse 16, it doesn't make sense. When that word is used, when the word cubits is used, it doesn't make sense. But when the word hundreds is put in its place, as is in the authorised version, as is in the authorised version, 500 reads by the read of the measurement all around. And this is not only makes sense, but is in harmony with the rest of the dimensions. So I've just put, I've changed the word cubits to the word hundreds. Can I change that Hebrew word? Well, let's have a look why that Hebrew was changed. A dyslexic scribe has inverted the word, the letter Aleph, and that's the letter Aleph in Hebrew, has inverted the letter Aleph for the letter Mim. In other words, he's just swapped it round the wrong way. It's been translated the wrong way. And thereby has converted the word hundreds to cubits, thereby giving us a translation that doesn't make sense. So, Ezekiel chapter 42 reads satisfactorily, but the ESV, that's in the authorised version, but the ESV and the Septuagint and others that follow the error of verse 16. So look, 
I don't expect you to be a Hebrew scholar. I don't expect you even to get maybe get a, a full handle on what I've said there. But I've got a copy of this if you need to have it later. And I'm just showing to you through the work that our brother John Russell has done that there are translations that are entirely unreliable. The ESV is one of them. You cannot understand the size of the temple if you're going to try and come up with a consistent rule for the understanding of the temple. So what they've done, they've inserted the word cubit for the word hundred. Now if you look at the two Hebrew words, they're pretty close, aren't they? They've just swapped mim and aleph around. That's what all they've done. And someone's made a mistake in copying. But through that mistake in copying, we now get people who say, well, we've got a small temple. Now, that's been a diversion, but it's an important diversion. We need to understand that there are difficulties with translation and we need reliable translations that we can say, yes, this is the inspired scriptures and the scriptures are saying that this along the side of the temple is 500 reeds, not 500 cubits, as some people would be arguing. And so when we read this again, it's 500 reeds long and 500 reeds broad. So the measuring stick that's used is the reed of 3.744 in all cases unless it's otherwise specified. It will specify if it is something different. Now here's this place where it might sound confusing. Come to chapter 45 and verse 2. Chapter 45 and verse 2. Okay, we'll just we'll just read from verse 1. Moreover, when you shall divide by lot the land for inheritance ye shall offer an oblation unto Yahweh, and holy portion of the land, the length shall be the length of five and twenty thousand, and reeds is not in the original, but it's intended, five and twenty thousand reeds, and the breadth shall be ten thousand reeds. Now I am, God willing, going to deal with this. I'm going to show you how this land is divided up and the real significance of the division of the land. We're going to come to that. It's an important study. And I'm also going to show you that if we use cubits, if we use small dimensions, that the promise that was made to Abram will never be fulfilled because he was promised the land from the river of Egypt, the river Euphrates. But if we use small dimensions, we end up with a much smaller allocation of land. But that's for later. We want to look at verse 2. Of this there shall be for the sanctuary 500 in length and 500 in breadth. In other words, in all that division of the land there's going to be this area of the temple, 500 in length and 500 in breadth, square roundabout, and 50 cubits about for the suburbs thereof. Now you'd read that and you'd say, wow, you know, only, you know, it's 50 cubits, it's only 50 of these, a cubit, which is 600 millimetres long, it's only 50 of those for the suburb. I mean, we're in the suburb of, what's this suburb we're in now? Capalabar. Is it Capalabar? Not Redlands, okay. But it's more than 50 cubits. You know, we, we, we think, wow, you know, the, cupboard, the suburb, this can't be right, 50 cubits. But let me tell you, it is right. When it says 50 cubits for the suburbs, 
The word suburbs is the word open space. Doesn't mean suburbs like we think a suburb is today. It doesn't mean Capalabar or Redlands or Cleveland. It's, it's, and there it is. I'm just showing on the screen now. It's 50 cubits or about 31 metres from the temple down to the water. An open space, about 30 metres, about 100 feet approximately. That's what it's referring to, the open space. So it's, the cubits is right. It's just we have to understand what the word cube, what the word suburbs means, and it means open space. It doesn't mean a suburb that we would take a suburb to mean today. All right, let's now just plonk this temple. Uh, I did this, I think, in the last study. I put it on the, the suburb of of uh, Redlands. I'm now going to put it on Sydney Harbour to give you an idea of how big the temple will be on Sydney Harbour. For those who, most of us are fairly familiar with, that's the Sydney Harbour Bridge there. There's the harbour. There's the Opera House. Here's the Opera House down in the bottom right-hand corner. Pretty big building if you've ever been to the Opera House, but it's only one little corner of the temple. The temple is a very large temple, 500 reeds long and 500 reeds along each side. And, of course, then that really will be filled in with the rest of the structures that will go to make up the temple, the inner temple on the inside, uh, the altar in the very centre. I've got a whole study for you on the altar. That's an amazing study on, on the purpose of the altar, sacrifices in the Kingdom Age. But there it is. There's the temple on Sydney Harbour. Very large, 500 reeds, not a small temple at all. A magnificent temple or a house of prayer for all nations. OK. Now, what's the real... What's the lesson... Of about this? What can we learn? Well, the royal cubit is the length of the forearm and the open hand. And I've got an illustration of the Lord Jesus Christ with his arm out like this to help people. Everywhere the Lord Jesus Christ went, his miracles, he touched people with his hand. It was always the open arm. And so the house of prayer will be measured on this. It's going to be built on this principle, reaching out to help the nations of the world, the mortal population of the world. It will be the strength of Yahweh's outstretched arm, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, combined with the open hand. And that's the opposite. What's the opposite? What's the opposite to an open hand? Can anybody tell me? That's the opposite to an open hand, a fist. And the world's full of fists today, but in the kingdom age, it's going to be the open hand. And so the scriptures say, Behold, Yahweh's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Yahweh's arm is stretched out to save. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. So Israel were just always fighting, resisting God, and God was reaching, trying to reach out to them. The temple will be built on this basis of the royal cubit, the measurement on which the spiritual house is constructed is the arm of Yahweh, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the open hand of Yahweh, the extension of mercy from the hand, arm of God. Now, I'm not saying that in the start of the kingdom age there's not going to be judgments. Of course there's going to be judgments on this wicked world. God will come down like the lion of the tribe of Judah. He will bring judgments upon this wicked world, but he will stretch out his arm to, to establish the kingdom 
to bring people into the kingdom when they respond to his teaching as, as we respond to the teaching of the word of God today. So it's the extension of mercy from the arm of God. And we ask the question, well, how do we measure up? Do we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? So we need to try, and we cannot really do that, but we need to try and measure ourselves out. If we're talking about measurement, we need to just consider how frail and weak we are and how far we fall short. And of course, the lesson of how we treat others. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meter, with all it shall be measured to you again. As we measure out our judgments and condemnation on people, well then God is going to treat us that same way. We're going to be severe and judgmental, then this responses against us in the day of judgment will be severe and judgmental. If we be merciful and extend the merciful open hand of Yahweh to people to try and help them, Yahweh will extend a merciful hand to us. Right, so that's the spiritual lesson behind the open arm, the forearm, and the building of the house of God in the age to come. And just one for the children. If you ever go to the beach and you want to make a sandcastle, there's a good sandcastle for you to make. I've never tried that, but it'll be quite good. Someone's made that. Some, I think that was done at a Bible school somewhere, an outing at a Bible school. Not here in Australia, but somewhere. Well, it looks like Australian white sand, but uh, it yes, was done at a Bible school, I believe. All right, now, we said we'd talk about the prophecy. I said Isaiah, but it's prophecy of Jeremiah. Let's go to this prophecy in Jeremiah. It's all about the temple in Jeremiah 31. So the, the prophecies about the temple are not just limited to the book of Ezekiel. In fact, once we start looking, we find prophecies about the temple all through the scriptures, particularly in the Psalms. And so we read in Jeremiah 31, 39, Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that the city, the city shall be built to Yahweh from the Tower of Hananiel until the corner gate, until the gate of the corner, and the measuring line shall go forth over against it unto the hill of Garib, and shall compass about to Goath. And the whole valley of dead bodies and of the ashes and of the fields of the brook of Kidron, under the corner of the horse gate, toward the east, shall be holy unto Yahweh, it shall not be plucked up nor thrown down any more forever. Now this is a prophecy about the construction of the house of God, the temple in the kingdom age. To start with, the word city is the same word that's used in Ezekiel chapter 40 of the word city. When, when Ezekiel was taken to see the vision and he saw, as he looked, into the distance he saw the frame of a city, we're told in chapter 40 and verse 2. He saw, it's the same word there, it's a, the city, the temple will be so big it looks like a city. And the, it says, and it shall be holy unto Yahweh, it's a reference to the holy place, the inner circle of the temple. 
and the measuring line shall go forth over against it. The word measuring line means to stretch out a cord as if you would draw, a, if you want to draw a large circle, you hammer a peg in the ground, you tie a cord around, you stretch the line out, and you walk around like that with a cord, and you draw a circle. That's how you draw a large circle. Uh, it's like a big compass. So it's a, it's a measuring line, the rim of a cord. The measuring line shall go forth. So it's talking about a circle. There will be a circle. Shall compass about to go at. The word means to surround or to encircle. Now I'm just emphasising that because there are some who say, well, how do you know there's an inner circle in a building? There's lots of ways to prove that. Here's one way we're establishing the evidence that it's a circular building from the prophecy of Jeremiah. The circle shall go round about to Goath. So now here's the most holy place. Here's the vision of the temple. The, the most holy place is that part, you can see that circle around the temple there now. So that's what we're talking about, that particular part of the temple. Let's just come back to this prophecy. So now we've, what we're going to do, we're going to identify these places that this prophecy mentions in Jeremiah on an old map of Jerusalem. From the Tower of Hananiel, there's the Tower of Hananiel. Comes about, so goes like in a circle back to, to Goath or Golgotha, to the Valley of the Dead Bodies, to the Fields of Kidron, to the Horse Gate, and then we connect them all up and we've got a circle. As it says, it would be drawn like a circle. The holy place would be a circle over the city of Jerusalem. It would be constructed over that area. Round the word compass about, as I said, means to draw round about in a circle. So now if, if we, and that's what Brother Sully has done. He placed his drawing on that old city we see now coming up on the screen. And once again, just as I've drawn it, he's arrived at the same dimension. Now it just so happens, it just so happens that where the altar is, according to ordnance mapping, that's people who do the surveys of land, that that particular point will be, but it is at the very point of time, the highest point in Mount Zion in Jerusalem today. It is the highest point. And the distance from that point, that highest point, the centre is in complete harmony with this prophecy in Jeremiah. The, the, the measurement agrees with the prophecy of Jeremiah. And we're just putting those four those places on that prophecy so you can see where they fit. So that the radius of that circle then, from the centre out to the outside, and coming right now out to the outside of the temple, is 0.581 uh, of a mile or 0.93 of a kilometre. In fact, so that's 1.8 kilometres square. Okay, so what I'm going to do, I've just drawn this again to show you that these measurements, and I'm sorry if you don't like measurements, but this is important because it's just reinforcing how accurate the prophecy is. It's showing us that this circle, the measurements are in harmony with the size of the temple. So we start from the altar and we come out 
from the center point to the outside of the sanctuary. It's, if it's 500 reeds square, what's half of 500 reeds? Well, it's 250 reeds. So from the center of the circle to the outside of the square, that red line with the arrow on it, 250 reeds. If a cubit is six, uh, reed, uh, six cubits to a reed, six times that, it's 1,500 cubits from the altar to the outside wall, the radius. And for the rest of the scriptures, in this prophecy of Ezekiel, we can determine the separate place is 100 cubits, the width of the outer building and gates is 80 cubits, the width of the outer court is 100 cubits, the inner circle buildings is 110 cubits. They're all given in cubits, by the way. And all of those dimensions are, are verifiable from those quotes I've just put on the screen. So if we add those, all those dimensions together, we end up with 390 cubits. So if we take 390 cubits from 1,500 cubits, which was the radius, we end up with a dimension there of 1,100 cubits or 0.69 of a kilometre or 0.43 of a mile. We add the rest of those dimensions there and we find that they all add up to, to exactly 3,000 cubits. 3,000 cubits, divide that, divide that by six, as you can see on the bottom of the screen there, 3,000 cubits divided by six is 500 reeds. So what we've done, we've gone through all these figures, but we've just proved from this prophecy in Jeremiah and from the rest of the words in Ezekiel that the dimensions of the temple is really 500 reeds square. It's not a small temple, it's a large temple and it's got a circle, an inner circle on the inside. All right, for those of you who don't like numbers, you'll be relieved to hear that's my last slide on calculations. Let's move on to something else and you can come awake now. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at the living waters now in chapter 47 that bring the Dead Sea to life. So let's go now to Ezekiel chapter 47. So chapter 47 tells us that as a result of the great earthquake, which we covered in our previous studies, that there will be a river that will bubble up underneath Mount Zion, come down the side of the mountain, break into two streams, flow out either side of the temple and flow down into the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea will become a living sea. And that's what that slide says. And Zion will be in beautiful situation, the joy of the earth. And so it says, and it shall come to pass that the fishes shall stand upon it on this river, from, from, even from Engedi, even unto Englam, that's on the, the sea that will be made alive. They shall be a place for the, to spread forth nets. Their fish shall be according to their kinds, as the fish of the great sea exceeding many. So if we look at this on a map, there we've got the temple, and we've got, and the prophecy of Zechariah is in harmony with it. it says, and Zechariah says, and it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them towards the hinder sea in the summer and the winter it shall be. 
and I can't go back, I've got to keep on going forward. And the prophecy in Ezekiel says that he said unto me, These waters issue out toward the east country and go down unto the desert and go out into the sea which brought which being brought forth of the sea, the water shall be healed. So the dead sea shall be healed from the living waters. And so if you look at the, you can see the temple, the little blue square. I've got two rivers flowing out of that. There's one river that comes up underneath the mountain, forms into two rivers, flows down into the dead sea. And it says, and it shall come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth whithersoever the rivers shall come, shall live. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish because these waters shall come thither, for they shall be healed, and everything shall live whither the river cometh. And you see, I've highlighted those two words, whither the river. There's one river to start with, but it becomes two rivers. Now, some Bible critics have said, oh, look, this is wrong. But Brother Sully has shown in the construction of the temple that the water will come out from underneath the, the altar, flow down the mountain, and then break into two streams underneath the temple, and flow out one to the north side and one to the south side of the temple and then flow down into the, uh, the Dead Sea become living seas. And then eventually it will flow out, as I've shown, we don't know for sure, but probably that way, as you can see on the drawing there, uh, to the north of the temple, flow back into the Mediterranean or to the Hinder Sea. So if we looked at a cross-section of the land today, we see that the Dead Sea is 400 metres below the level of the Mediterranean. When the great earthquake occurs, that will be lifted up and the next slide will show us... Oh, I can't go back, I'm sorry. It will be lifted up and the waters will then flow into, into the, the living sea and then flow out into the Mediterranean. And so it says in verse 12 of that chapter 47, and by the river and upon the bank thereof on this side and on that side shall grow trees for all meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months, because their waters they shall issue out of the sanctuary, and the fruit thereof shall be for meat or for food, and the leaf thereof shall be for medicine. So the leaves that will grow on the sides of that and on those trees will be for the healing of the nations. And there are a lot of people today who say that a lot of medicinal quantities, qualities are actually found in the leaves of trees. And so it will be literally in the kingdom age. There is a symbolic meaning to this, but literally there will be healing for the nations from the waters that flow from Jerusalem. Where it says the leaf thereof shall be for medicine, the margin has, it will be for bruises and for sores. And that's what the serpent has done. The serpent has bruised mankind with sin and inflicted sores on mankind. But these leaves will remove the bruise of the serpent and the power of sin. Now you'd be thinking to yourself, well, that's is that literal or is that symbolical? Well, it's both. The saints will remove the sickness. There won't be needs for hospitals. There won't be, a, I'm sorry, there's some any ambulance bearers or paramedics in the audience. I'm sorry, you're going to lose your jobs, Lionel. There's going to be immortalised saints who will be doing that in the kingdom age. The leaves of the trees will be for healing of the nations. Sorry to say that. So when we look at this passage in Revelation, though, in Revelation, come across to Revelation 22, because it's the same sort of language 
as Ezekiel 47. In Revelation 22, we're given a vision of the kingdom. Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street, that word street means the broad place, which is a reference, if you look at the screen, to to all the open area in the temple, to the broad place, in the midst of the broad place of it, and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruit, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now you'd read that and you'd say, well look, that's the same as Ezekiel chapter 47. Well, Revelation 22 is symbolic language. And Revelation 22 is talking about the saints who will be the the administrators of the tree of life and they will be the leaves on the tree of life that will bring healing to the nations. But there's no confusion between the two. There's no confusion between a literal, there will be a literal temple and there is a symbolic message. There is a spiritual message about the saints. And on the screen here, I, I explain the difference between the two. The first one, in the literal, Ezekiel was carried away in a vision to observe in his mind's eye a literal mountain after its elevation by a literal earthquake and upon which stood a literal city and in which will be built a literal temple and out of which will flow a literal river on whose banks will grow literal trees which will be for the literal healing of nations. It is literal. It's going to happen. It's in the kingdom of God. But in Revelation, John on the Isle of Patmos saw a vision of a symbolic mountain which represents the the policy of the world, of the saints ruling in the kingdom of God after its elevation by a symbolic earthquake, a political earthquake, upon which he saw a symbolic city, the New Jerusalem, a symbol of the glorified saints. We are specifically told in Revelation, these are symbols. But it's a symbol of the saints, and it's based on the literal. So there will be a literal temple, and this revelation is giving us, based on that literal temple and those literal facts, the spiritual lessons. There will be a healing of the nations. And the leaves of that tree which grow, the tree of life. How can one tree, it says, the tree grew on both sides of the river. And the word tree means a wood of life. It's not just, it's the word zulon. So it doesn't mean one tree, the word zulon. Does anybody know what the word zulon is, by the way? Steve should know, he's a carpenter. Thank you, Steve. Steve got it. It's, it, it's, the, it's the cells in the, in the timber which make up a tree. But this is it's a plural word and it means the woods of life, the, the saints, so it's, spirit, it's spiritual. So there is a literal temple and there is a spiritual temple. From that literal temple, we're now coming back to, in about three minutes' time, we're going to have a very quick look at where Ezekiel is. Back now to chapter 47. Now, what's happening in chapter 47? On my screen, I've got point number 25. (coughs) How do we get to point number 25? Well, we've jumped a lot of chapters. But what I'm saying here is that Ezekiel has been taken on a journey 
around to various parts of the temple. He's at point number 25 of the journey now. That's where he's in chapter 47. Afterward, it says, he brought me again unto the door of the house. The man of brass that was taking Ezekiel around brought him to the door of the house and behold, he says, waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward for the forefront of the house stood toward the east and the waters came down from under the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. Now just where was he standing? I'll show you where he was standing. Ezekiel was standing, you can see that red arrow, he was standing there. Water comes down, it says, water's issued out from under the threshold. They came under the entrance doorway and bubbled out on the outside of the temple into a little stream, or a rushing stream. And as he looked, he saw waters coming out of the right side of the altar because to the, his right is the east. The house stood, the forefront of the house stood toward the east and the waters came down from under the right side of the house. At the, he's on the south side, on the south side of the altar. That's where Ezekiel is standing, right there. He's now standing at the southwest corner and here he sees waters gushing out from under the southern thresholds. And from here, where he is now standing, they are on his right side. He's then taken northward in the next verse between the circular buildings and the outer court. So you can see my little arrow now, he's moving there. Ezekiel's taken there and he moves all the way up through that part of the temple before we get to the next verse. And he gets that point up there on the northern part of the temple. He then passes out of the westernmost northern gate. And I'll just move a little arrow. So he's right on the north of the temple. He goes out through the northern gate and he turns around and he now sees waters on the right side gushing out of the threshold of the gate that he's just passed over. So little arrow, can you still, yes, you can see it on the screen there. He's taken out of that gate and he sees the waters on his right side. That's what verses 2 says. That's what verse 2 says. That's where he is now. There's, there's, I've got the verse on the screen. Then he brought me out of the way of the gate northward and led me about the way without unto the utter gate by the way that looketh eastward and behold there ran water out of the right side on his right hand side. And then we read and when the man that had the line in his hand went forth eastward going to go that way he measured a thousand cubits and it's cubits, it's not reeds he measured a thousand cubits because it's not in italics and he brought me again through the waters the waters were to the ankles again he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters and the waters were to the knees again he measured a thousand and he brought me through the waters and the waters were to the loins so he measured a thousand water to the ankles he measured a thousand water to the knees measured a thousand water to the loins why all that what's that all about well just by the way 3,000 cubits is how many reeds divided by six when I went to school six into, divided into 500 sorry six divided into 3,000 was 500 so it's 500 reeds long this reinforces the size of the temple again 500 reeds along each side of the temple broken up into three lots and water was issuing out from underneath the threshold springing out as you can see in that illustration 
revelation there. And of course, Zechariah even picks up on this prophecy. He says, in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So it's giving us a clue what the water's for. The water's for baptism. It's for cleansing. It's the word of God. It's for the, the word of God brings us to baptism. The word of God cleanses us. It washes our walk. That's what it's teaching. And everybody who comes up to the temple, these lessons will be taught as they approach the water. And so it talks about baptism. Everybody who enters that temple has to be baptised, has to come to learn about the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so here in Ezekiel it says, in verse 6 of chapter 47, and he said unto me, Son of man, Son of man, which is a reference really, it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ who himself passed through these waters before he's showing to Israel. Christ had to be baptised. Everybody who comes into the temple will have to be baptised. And so Christ said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfil all righteousness. <coughs> Jesus was baptised, thus complying with the divinely appointed way of entry into the kingdom of God. For Jesus said to Nicodemus, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So everybody who comes up to the temple has to be born of water, and born of the Spirit. The Spirit word has to impact their lives, the mortal population. And then there is also the spiritual aspect of that. We have to be baptised first, then changed to spirit nature before we can enter into the as immortals in the kingdom of God. So why are those three dimensions given in the temple? Well, there's a progression. Water to the ankles, water to the knees, and water to the loins. And this progression speaks of baptism. And the deeper water is approached first. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved. So there was water to the loins. You go out to water in the loins, it's deep enough to be baptised. You can be fully immersed in that water. Then on future visits when baptism is not required, but one's, so everybody who goes up first to the temple must be baptised, but then they go up again uh, when they'll have to, on other visits, baptism won't be required again, but one's walk may require further washing. There is water to the knees. And so Paul could say to Titus, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and a renewing of a spirit of holiness, as it can be translated. The washing of regeneration is what we do. We come to a Bible class today, to tonight, we wash ourselves in the water of the word. We do the readings. We wash ourselves in the water of the word. It's the washing of regeneration. The mortal population will be taught that principle. They don't just have to walk through water. It'll be teaching the principle that they must wash themselves in the water of the word of God. And then on following visits, when the water is only to the ankles, the Lord Jesus Christ said, He that is washed needeth not, not save to wash his feet. So once we're baptised... We still have to continue washing ourselves, but not in immersion, but we've got to wash our feet. We've got to watch our walk. How do we walk in the truth? Our walk needs to be washed by the water of the word so we are shown to be true sons and daughters of God. And so it says, 
it said the water came, and I'll have to finish it on this point here, wind it up on this point, the water came down on the right side of the house at the south side of the altar. So there's the altar, there's the south side of the altar on the right side. Now what does that remind you of? Well it reminds me of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the soldiers come along with a spear, pierced his side and forthwith came their blood and water. And water and blood, now blood, will blood flow out from underneath the altar? We know water will, but will blood, yes, blood will. Blood will flow out from underneath the altar because as the water, as the, all the, the great altar, which is placed right in the very centre of the temple, will have the altar, the sacrifices placed on it, they'll be consumed, but there will be blood from those sacrifices and that will run off the edges and, down into the, and it will be surrounded by, what I'll show this to you in the next studies, it is surrounded by water. It will run into that water. That water will run down the side of the mountain out under the, the temple. There will be water and blood through which people's salvation will be given. As the water and the blood, O oh Lord, we sing, speaks of us of the great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So as we look at that temple, the water flowing from underneath the altar forms into two living streams, but it will have blood mixed with it. And these will heal the desert of the Dead Sea it will be used for the healing of the nations and it will transform the Dead Sea into a living sea and it will transform the nations. And so that altar is surrounded by water. There's a detail, as I said, I'm going to show that to you at a later study. So I think we're going to have to finish it there. We're running out of time. And I don't want to rush this because I need to establish this point for you. So let's just think about what we've said tonight. We have spoken about those dimensions that reinforce for us how large the temple is, a magnificent temple that will be constructed in the Kingdom Age, how important it is for us to understand and have the correct translation to reinforce the fact that it is a large temple and not a small temple, and how important it is for us to be associated in the washing of our bodies and the washing of our minds in the water of the Word as it will be for the mortal population of the age to come. Let us look forward to that time, brethren and sisters, when we will on that day be administrators. We will be the sons of God, the priests after the order of Melchizedek in that temple, glorifying God and showing the nations of the world the way in which they should walk.